welcome to Happy Times and Places, a positively inclined Doctor Who episode commentary podcast with me, Toby Haydoke. This one we're doing slightly differently. The story you know because you've read the blurb. It's Terror of the Autons, and it has been chosen by my special guest, Richard Marson. Back in the day, he was a writer and contributor to Doctor Who magazine. He's written books about Doctor Who, and he's also even been the editor of Blue Peter. He's Doctor Who royalty, actually, if you're a fan of my age, and he thought it would be more interesting if we chatted about his choice after we'd both watched the story. So I will watch the story without knowing what his favourite thing is, and then we'll dip forward into the future and he'll tell me what his pick for each episode is. So we'll start rather uncontroversially at the beginning with episode one. So get yourself settled in and we'll hear from Richard Marson, our special guest, at the end of the episode. Well, hello. I'm usually referred to as Toby Haydoke. Actually, I'm I'm not. I'm really rarely referred to with the correct pronunciation. But that is a clue as to the episode I'm about to ask you to press play on. It is Terror of the Autons, part one, episode one. Uh, so however you have it lined up, I hope I've bought you enough time to press play in three, two, one. Uh, well, welcome. Um, confession up front. Uh, this one might be a bit of a challenge for me. It's a story I've never been a massive fan of. Partially, I think it was the first Pertwee I got on, on bootleg video, and I was slightly disappointed to discover it was in black and white, for starters. I'd known it had only existed in black and white apart from a, an off-air colour, I think, but I somehow assumed that the copy I would be getting would be colour and it wasn't it was it was a very good quality black and white but it was black and white nonetheless so I haven't seen it in colour that much obviously I have when I I got the the DVD but it's it's not one I break out very often um the qualities the qualities are okay actually I was I, I, I sometimes expect these recolored ones to be not so great I think it's harder with something like the demons or out of phase film um because we've got episode four and we can see the marked change in in the quality between the the recolored and the actual color but this oh it's a bit grainy isn't it but this is film anyway um this is john bascom as rossini who was in poldark the olden days one uh but it's it it's a story that i think i envisage to be different from what we get i always envisage the poet to be sort of lots of explosions lots of soldiers Fewer circuses. There's quite a lot of time spent in the circus here. Um, fewer, you know, factory offices. And I, and I, uh, but what, uh, what an entrance. And he does not disappoint. He, I'd always read about the master. This is the first time I'd ever seen him, actually. Yeah. Uh, and I'd sort of got an idea of what he'd be like because I'd seen Anthony Ainley as a kid. But he is pitch perfect and he looks fantastic. You can see why Barry Letts didn't consider anybody else for the part. Those hooded dark eyes, 
the way that that is shot, the precise movements, the fact that he can click his fingers through leather gloves. <laughs> I wonder, <laughs> wonder if that was on uh, Roger Delgado's CV. And the economy of this, uh, I mean, that's not even a set. That's uh, that's Dave Carter, perennial uh, walk-on. Uh, he'd been Silurian in the size. He's done loads, Dave Carter. Never found him. It's hard. He's called Dave Carter. If you live next door to a bloke called Dave who says, I was in Doctor Who loads, you know, please let me know. Uh, but th the economy of that, you know, bit of CSO. That's what that set was. A, a, a walk on to go, oi, or whatever. Uh, s smash a thing. Grab the grab the sphere. So great. The story's the story's uh, underway. I was trying to set up at the beginning. I'm, I'm I know this is about accentuating the positive, but uh, I'm just trying to explain why it will be uphill for me. This I still intend to do it, uh, and I still love Doctor Who. Um, but I'm coming from a, a point where this was a, this was not the story I wanted it to be. I'd got the target book with the the amazing, you know, octop one-eyed octopus crab crab thing on the front. I'd I'd read about the House of Lords complaining and the papers and the BBC upper echelon saying it was too scary, and it was as I say, it was quite sort of garish and jolly and not what I expected. However. I'm not a I'm 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 not a potential I I think when I was younger I wanted to be grizzled and cynical and I liked my Doctor Who. I can understand why this is a real it is a real sort of culture shift from season 7 which was how I wanted my Doctor Who and I I but I can but I I can understand why the production team went away from that Terence Dix always said that season 7 you know, was gritty and brilliant and looked good, but it wasn't Doctor Who. It was more like Quatermass, and I like Quatermass. Whereas this is more like Doctor Who, and I—it's hard to disagree. Actually, although I love season seven, I could have done with another five years of season seven. Um, she's great, isn't she, Katie Manning? Uh, and what we forget, I think, because she is so Joe Grant, is that in real life, she, I know Katie is manic and scatty and eccentric. But she's not Joe Grant. She doesn't even sound like Joe Grant. Um, you know, she puts on her voices and she... Uh, this is a characterization, you know, very much so. Um, maybe when we do The Curse of Peladon, I will talk about the... The, uh, the, uh, the Doctor and the Monsters repeat that led to me writing TH4KM on my school exercise book because she's very easy to fall in love with. Ha, 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 ha. That's a nice shot through the through the thing. Oh, we've had that. We've had it. I'm so sorry. I talked through one of the great bizarre lines of Doctor Who, which is when he calls her a ham-fisted bun vendor. <laughs> For years, I was going, "What's a bun vendor? What's a what's a bun what's a bun vendor? Is it some sort of?" I've heard the third Doctor say things like jackanapes and 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 that sort of thing. So I thought bun vendor was perhaps some sort of ancient ancient insult you 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 remember but with that I knew it wouldn't be rude I knew it wasn't bum or 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 you know in the pejorative bender which has been used as a horrible pejorative in the past I I didn't know that was a special effect the double um until really recently uh, somebody pointed it out to me that the double radar is a is a is an effect shot very subtle very effective uh and uh this location's actually gorgeous um uh, and these these stairs and gantries give us 
you know, a feeling of height. It gives us, gives us, you know, gets us outside in the location. That's actually gorgeous. I love that. See, I wouldn't have noticed stuff like that as a kid watching in black and white. How much that took us away from, you know, you know, people talking in offices, which this is, but it's slightly uh, different. Uh, and these two are both Barry Letts. Regulars, Christopher Burgess has been in Enemy of the World uh, and is in Planet of the Spiders. Uh, and Andrew Staines was actually Barry Letts' nephew, the bald guy with the beard, uh, who was also in Enemy of the World at the last minute, taking over from... Should I do this fact now or when I do Enemy of the World? I'll do it when I do Enemy of the World. Uh, and And I'm not going to do this very often and I don't actually have much from Doctor Who I don't have a prop from Doctor Who uh, I've, I, I don't have a full script from oh I've got no I have got the K. Patrick scripts from the Savages now um, uh, but I don't I don't have I don't have anything that's been on screen in Doctor Who uh, but Andrew Staines who's about to get killed <laughs> uh I had the pleasure of interviewing, and I interviewed him with, when he was with Terence Lodge, who is who is also because that both of these guys uh, are part of Lupton's gang in Planet of the Spiders, as is the actor Terence Lodge. And Terence introduced me to Andrew and said, "Oh, you're talking to a very fine draftsman, you know." And Andrew said, "Oh yes, I I sketched Roger Delgado uh, learning his lines, and later Andrew actually sent sent me that." Uh, so for those of you listening to the podcast, um, maybe I'll put this in the show notes or something. Uh, I'm showing the, the videocast people. This is available as videocast. Uh, the, the, the sketch, and it says, An actor prepares, this is in Andrew's handwriting, the late Roger Delgado studies his words for Terror of the Autons in the BBC rehearsal rooms, North Acton, Sept, October 1970. This was the first Doctor Who story in which he played the master, signed Andrew Staines. And Andrew actually gave that to me. Andrew is, is no longer with us, so I'm very fortunate to have that and i got it framed up and it's it's my i think it's my most treasured doctor who thing just because it's a it's a one-off and it's a it's a little i know it's not a photograph but it's a little taste of history and it was done you know when this was being made uh and i think that's rather special um and andrew was a very nice man uh who uh, uh, uh he pronounced it nepotism. He said, he, but he said he quite often filled in for Barry because he's in uh, Carnival of Monsters as well as the captain of the ship. He quite often filled in at the last minute if Barry was short of somebody or if somebody dropped out. Um, uh, and uh, his yeah, his mother Pauline Letts, uh, Barry Letts' sister, was an actress. But I really like Christopher Burgess, uh, this actor, uh, who's got white hair in Enemy of the World. Um, he's sort of aged up a bit, which he wouldn't really do now, but... Um, but uh, he's got a lovely sort of broken quality about him. His voice almost f f feels like it's about to crack. Um, and and this is the sort of the brigadier and the doctor here, sort of jousting, but very good-naturedly. Uh, doctor Boo, <laughs> rather stroppy. He's a bit of a meanie. But, that, I mean, it's deliberate. Um, but it's... it's it's rebranding, as you like, if you like the series, with this, you know, someone said slightly cosier feel. Uh, but that's, you know, that's partly dictated by the rapport of the actors. Nicholas Courtney is obviously just lovely as the brigadier. And, uh, 
but he knows how to he knows how to play the doctor which is nice and yes it is a bit more it is a bit less sort of Houston filmsy gritty stuff but um doctor who is a is a show that is designed to be fun for kids and uh, and and as we know you know there are various elements of this that were deemed unsuitable for kids so uh, perhaps a spoonful of day glow helps the strangulations go down. Ooh, that was torturous. I'm so sorry. Um, and yeah, and, and because we get and we get uh, Yates and Benton later, and we've got the master, and that's it. That's the the unit family. Um, and of course, you get this beautiful um, high shot here for because you've got a big tower in your radar place. But yes, I and interesting, quite a muted introduction for for Yates, seeing as he's going to go on to be uh, a regular. But I actually, I quite like it sometimes when Doctor isn't aware of its own sort of legacy and go, "This is a big moment." I know Captain Yates, but he's he's a regular, he's a companion, um, or is he? I don't know. Yeah, he is. He's a regular. Frank Mills still about ninety three, lives not far from here. I think I remember. Be, uh, he's one of those actors that you look at and think, "I know him from somewhere." He's been in everything, but actually had had a sort of better later career. I, th- I think he's he's an extra in Quatermass and the Pit, uh, but but was Betty Turpin's husband in Coronation Street, and I know he auditioned for the Foresight Saga, the remake, on the day that I did because they were seeing the Manchester actors, and I th- and, and Jeff Hinsliff was up for the same part as Frank Mills, I think. Um, that not the part I was up for. I I got it. I don't think either of them, them did. But they were seeing all the Manchester actors in one day because that's what happens. They do three weeks of auditions in London, then go let's chuck it, throw a bone to the Manchester people. We could spare them twelve hours. Uh, I adore David Garth, Sit- solicitor Grey from the Highlanders, returning to Doctor Who as the bowler hatted Time Lord. This is Robert Holmes already going berobed invincible godlike people nah, nuts to that i'll make him a slightly fruity patronizing city gent david garth is perfectly cast and plays the part to a t i can understand why you know fans at the time maybe who'd seen the time lords once you know they were big news the, the, the Doctor is from the Time Lords and they're these amazing, scary, godlike people in robes with starry eyes who could create force fields. And, and you know, <laughs> a year and a bit later, uh, no, they're pompous civil servants. But I like what Robert Holmes does with Doctor Who. Uh, he, he makes it slightly more than science fiction. Um, and, and austere and berobed can only take you a certain way and I think what what sums up Doctor Who is that actually where a lot of programs would make people austere and berobed Doctor Who makes them bowler hatted <laughs> uh, and that is sort of comforting yet also satirical yet also uh, a, 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 a cheeky mickey take uh, much more fun for the actor uh, good umbrella acting there David Garth um, and I think that's what makes it Doctor Who. Um, so I, uh, whilst I'm sure if I'd been a kid of seven or eight in 1969 when the War Games was on and I watched this, I would be furious. We Doctor Who fans do furious, especially when the programme with the flexible format flexes its format. Uh, but I love this now. Um uh, and, and I, th- I think this is a t- 
terrific scene and the fact that the and Pertwee is so good at being pissed off oh good wind as well I have to say because this is a set obviously uh uh oh good luck <laughs> I think that's terrific uh <laughs> and that you know that and that's a sort of that's a parallel of 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 the Pertwee Doctor bumping heads with civil servants on Earth, which he will do for the rest of his career, pretty much. In fact, we get one in episode three here. Um, uh, so, so, so anyway, that's a neat foreshadowing of uh, of what he's going to have to do. Um, and we're getting the Doctor to use his uh, his skills fairly early on, which is nice. Um, He's, he's very he's a natural Pertwee I think it I think I think uh, he, he fits the part like a glove and, and does all this stuff like it's second nature which uh, for, for somebody who was unsure of himself I know there was there, there was a feeling he was slightly intimidated by Roger Delgado wasn't he because uh, Delgado had much more experience as a, as a television actor and as a straight actor um, but we hadn't really done an awful lot of electronic studio drama acting before he was Doctor Who, if any, um, and I, and I think you know was was not as confident as he might have appeared. Uh, so it's to his credit that he is a Doctor of extreme confidence, uh, who looks who just looks brilliant. <laughs> um, but yeah, Frank 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 Mills here he is. Uh, I, I remember seeing him turn up in sort of Casualty and and things sort of much after I'd even sort of been collecting this. I was surprised he was sort of still about and still doing stuff. But he, he started acting, I think, quite late. But, yep, still going at 93, uh, somewhere around here. Um, his his part in Coronation Street was, was slightly odd because he was sort of introduced to marry Betty Turpin, but then he was sort of more of a sort of off-screen. And this shot of Andrew Staines took ages uh, and is really well done, and it's a great way of establishing the master... It's good, it is. Uh, uh, and the shadow there is good because uh, it wouldn't look so realistic without the shadow. I think the shadow was done with a cardboard cutout. But that set took, that shot took a couple of hours. That CXO in its infancy. But I think it's terrific. Much better than a doll uh, that they used subsequently. Um, but obviously it doesn't take as long. Uh, uh, and I think that's a great, a great Doctor Who moment. So we're doing all right so far, aren't we, for a story that I was be slightly underwhelmed by it's also slightly different this because i'm gonna have to choose my things um as we go through but i'm then not gonna know what the person that sent me this story richard marson uh has done until tomorrow in my time uh because uh we, we're gonna do it on zoom so i'm gonna write down what i choose for each episode as my favorite thing so that i don't cheat and then uh we'll see what whether richard and i have come up with the same things i'm not used to this in color at all i watched this in black and white so many times i think i've probably seen it in color once maybe twice that's not very often for me for a doctor who story i didn't say i passed very nice <laughs> uh, um i do like the fact the doctor's got a space apron <laughs> Silver was a good shorthand for space, wasn't it? Uh, I think I, I, I'm sure there are even some silver cushions on Gallifrey at some point. How do we make this ordinary thing look like it is from space or the future? Silver, we don't have that these days. 
but yeah, the 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 this this I think I expected Pertwee Doctor Who to look much more like a movie, uh, just because of the way it was written up. I think I expected it to be darker. All of these inventive deaths in this are actually quite comic strippy, and I don't mean that as a as a pejorative, but I think my taste, as I say, my taste as a youngster was always for Doctor Who to be as grown up as possible, which is. A, which is interesting because as I get older, and I have a couple of kids now who are in, you know, teens. Well, now one one in, one is twenty, and I, I was desperate for them to retain their childhoods for as long as possible, because actually being as kid, and I and I struggled in my childhood a, a, a lot. I, for for various reasons, I'm not going to bore you with, but but I. But also there was all that that unfettered joy and innocence and all of those things that we do lose and that get eroded over time. And I was desperate for my kids sometimes when they wanted to be all grown up to to, to sort of enjoy being a kid for as long as possible, because in many ways it doesn't get better than that. And I think I spent a lot of my childhood wait because I've got older brothers and sisters waiting for for that time when life got sorted, when you got grown up and you knew everything and you didn't have to worry about anything. And of course that's none of that's true uh so actually i connect a lot more with doctor who that's a bit more kid friendly now i i think because it it reminds me that of 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 those things that you i think sometimes as a kid you don't realize are, are, are the best days of your life in many ways uh I always like Doctor Who when it goes on location. Just little things like those rows of pipes and the, the, the you know, the, the the size of the set, as it were, because we're outside. Uh, benefits from being being on location. Um, and this is great, Joe Grant. Oh, hello. <laughs> and he's got such a good face. Uh, and I remember reading an interview with Katie Manning where she said she had to be hypnotised by the master and when he was off camera he pulled lots of faces at her to, to make her giggle. Um, although it, 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 it must be, yeah, it must be this bit because it was too far away from her before because she can't see a blooming thing. Because <laughs> uh, Katie Manning is as blind as a bat. Uh, and Michael Wisher, who I... Mates with Barry Letts, Michael Wisher, the first Davros, but he'd been in uh, Ambassadors of Death two stories ago with a beard, so I suppose. Shave your beard off, you can have another part two stories later. Those were the days. Uh, and Benton. So now we have the the five regulars. Uh, the unit family is in place. Harry Taub. Um both of his Doctor Who appearances, because he was a very recognisable actor, uh, Harry Taub, uh, and also an Irishman uh, fanzine, what I read many years ago, that said he'd got a terrible Irish accent. <laughs> um, uh, and I was very hearted when Harry Taub passed away. I think The Independent or The Guardian called him one of the finest character actors of his generation, something like that. And it was nice to see him get that sort of recognition because very good, very good uh character actor great career on stage and on screen and yet his doctor who's are both sort of let's get the the famous guy in and then kill him off surprisingly because he's in episode one of the seeds of death uh, and he gets a you know guest billing in the radio times and he's dead within about 10 minutes uh 
Uh, and I mean, at least he makes it to episode two here. And he's in the uh, he's in the tribute to Roger Delgado as well on the uh, is it the Frontier in Space DVD, um, and 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 wrote a lovely letter I know to to the guys involved in the making of the DVD, just saying thanks for the for the DVD and stuff like that. So proper gent. And I oh this is the bit where he does the phone call and wraps his hat and and you've got his tapping finger. I really like this touch. I, I'm, uh, Barry Letts isn't the most dynamic of directors, I don't think. One of but I love that that moment. I think that's. Uh, it's just a way of just making it a bit more interesting. Uh, uh, now, yes, we needed to see an Auton because it is called Terror of the Autons. Uh, and we uh, I think one of the things I felt as a kid was that uh, I didn't see enough of them. They do like their CSO backdrops, don't they? Uh, which is, you know, they're, they're learning how to... They, you know, they're breaking in the technology um, and, uh, you know, being 100 percent convincing wasn't necessarily the order of the day i think it was a tacit acknowledgement that you were suggesting something rather than entirely pulling it off you know you, you can you can always see the fringing on on the cso um but the uh the cso sort of blow up backdrop walls didn't didn't last that long um stopper that's a bomb i think had to be added a bit later because it's not it's not entirely clear what the smoking box is um oh but there we go there we go. Um, I'm perfectly happy with that. Um, I'm I'm pleased to. I remember being astonished and rather chuffed that Delgado is so high up on the on the credits. I mean, he really is a regular. He's not, you know, not just the good guys, then the bad guys. Um, I was quite surprised to see Casey Manning so low down. She 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 goes further up as the as the era progresses and, and the, the brigadier and Andy Yates and Benton drop right to the bottom. Um, uh, I mean, right to the bottom, bottom. Um, uh, anyway, you don't care about that. It's only me who gives a monkey's about credit order. I've done a whole podcast on that. Uh, anyway, I've got to choose my favourite thing because I'm about to leap at no director credit on this is because it's Barry Letts is the producer um, and the director. So, um, that's the end of episode one. I'm going to pause it. Uh, ready to watch episode two, which I am going to do shortly. It'll be another episode for you. However, normally now I would play what my special guest has chosen as their favourite thing. But instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to nominate mine. I'm going to write it on this piece of paper so I cannot cheat. And then when I speak to them... Uh, for me tomorrow which but I'll play for you imminently uh, they'll tell me uh, they'll tell me what their favourite thing is and I'll, we'll see if what I've written down matches with them and if it does I win and if it doesn't I lose and the difference between winning and losing is not entirely clear uh, but <laughs> let's add some drama to it I am going to choose I think it's pretty that uh, um, with honourable mention to that brilliant C CSO shot of Googe, uh, which obviously has a slight personal connection uh, for me, uh, I think because it sums up to me so much of what Doc 2 is about, because I pr it probably would have annoyed me if I'd been a fan at the day, and yet I have to accept that I think it's really great now. And it never did annoy me, but that's because I'm I'm younger. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure there are similar things that have happened that, that 
that sort of upended my view of what Doctor Who was because of the way the show, show evolves that I, I've been furious about. Um, so I don't distance myself from anybody that was annoyed with it because I, I you know, I'm, I'm cut from the same cloth. However, I love it. I think it's very Robert Holmes. I think it's very Doctor Who. And that is the bowler-hatted Time Lord. Uh, not just the performance from David Garth, which I think is very good, because I have to be careful not to just go, I like that actor and that performance, because they're very much the things that I fixate upon. Uh, it's it's the whole concept uh, of what he's, he's done with the Time Lord there, the, 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 the whole interaction with the Doctor, as well as the performance. So the bowler-hatted Time Lord is my favourite thing for episode one. Uh, I'm now going to cut to the future, where I will talk to Richard Marson and see what he says. Well, I had a brainwave um, in that I thought I'd contact for this, not just people that I sit in the pub with and wax lyrical about Doctor Who too, but the very people that created the monster you see before you now, the people that wrote the history that I gorged on as a child. So I'm delighted. I have met this gentleman before uh, and had a very nice time uh, when I've done so, but uh, uh, we don't talk that often, although always very helpful when it comes to sharing resources or making contacts, which uh, is, a, is a really important part of, of the stuff that we do and is, I think, sometimes underreported. So I'm very grateful to Richard Marson for a number of reasons. Hello, Richard. How are you? Hello, Toby. I'm really good, thank you. In these strange times, I have not many complaints. So there you go. And and tell me why I would just uh, just for the viewer because some of them some, we've got some very young ones I think I don't know I haven't launched the podcast yet but just so that it comes from your mouth um, your your sort of history with Doctor Who. So many 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 years ago when I was only a teenager I had the great good fortune to start writing for. Doctor Who magazine, Doctor Who Monthly, as it was then. So in the, uh, it had a crum crummy office in Queensway and was very much a labour of love for the people who did it. And, and incredibly, I kind of blagged my way in. And for four years, while I was also in full-time education, I was writing articles, doing interviews. And I think what, what often gets forgotten is that that was the pre-internet era. So in terms of finding out stuff, and doing any kind of research. It was much, much harder work. Um, but the, the great advantage we did have was that, of course, most of those people from the classic era of Doctor Who were still alive. And they might be very surprised that you wanted to talk to them, but they were still working. They were still, in some cases, in their prime. So that was an enormous privilege, you know, and I look back now and I think, oh, I wish I'd done more. I wish I'd, you know, kind of tracked even more people down but it was it was an incredible time and from there you know I then worked in television and never lost my love of Doctor Who but while I was on Blue Peter I was running Blue Peter for a number of years at the point where Doctor Who came back spectacularly and very successfully and it was great to be part of doing the promotion so we did the famous um, designer monster competition whatever you think of love and monsters um, I love that love and is monsters. also a same here. And it's a tribute to the kind of um, sibling relationship between Doctor Who and Blue Peter, uh, which was which was lovely to be able to continue to foster that and continue to develop that. And I've also written a couple of Doctor Who related books. One was the biography of John Nathan Turner, um, which um, caused a bit of a hoo-ha a few <laughs> years ago. Happily, uh, I think perspective has now 
uh, allowed to be in the in the building along with uh, hoo-ha and then I did a biography of Verity Lambert which was uh, really you know a kind of fascinating because I knew much less about Verity and of course she had an incredible uh, varied career so that really was um, a, a fascinating process so those are my credentials and that's why I'm here but of course I was just really going to say oh. like you Toby I, like you Toby I was I was that kind of I remember listening to your uh, initial show when it was on Radio 4 and just kind of nodding like a nodding dog I think I was in the car going somewhere and just thinking there was so much kind of empathy for the things you were describing and the thing that you know when you're first a Doctor Who fan again in the pre-internet era we were slightly other in that most of our families and friends didn't really get in any way why we loved this program um, and so you had to seek out the the people who got where you were coming from and understood why it had somehow managed to root itself in your heart. So there you are. Oh, well, bless you. Well, uh, and I, I, I do, I would like you to write a, uh, a history of Doctor Who actually called uh, Perspective and Hoo-Ha, because I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty much Doctor Who, Doctor Who fandom in a nutshell, isn't it? <laughs> Perspective and Hoo-Ha. Um, well, uh, well, look, um, we, you have chosen a story I've chosen one thing from each episode and a bonus thing that I like about it. And I'm going to see if we tally. But uh, uh, the, 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 the viewer does not yet know which story you've chosen. So without going into specifics, uh, t tell us the story that you've chosen and a sort of vague reason why. OK, I've gone for Terror of the Autons, the first story of the 1971 season of Doctor Who. And the reason for that is it's really my first memory of the programme. And, and the reason it took root in my memory I think was it terrified me so uh, completely I mean I couldn't tear myself away but equally I was really really genuinely freaked out by it and and those memories which were very visceral stayed with me you know ever afterwards and it was also the beginning of my kind of personal dream team of Doctor Who, John Pertwee, Katie Manning and the kind of unit guys so for me it was the beginning of a lot of things Lovely. Well, episode one. Now, listen, I have a confession to make. This was a tricky one for me because it was the first Pertwee I sort of collected on bootleg. And having had my imagination fired up by the Target books and the movies they created in our heads, <laughs> uh, and the fact that it was in black and white, it was a massive disappointment to me. Uh, and it took me ages to recover from that. Uh, so this has been a very useful process. Uh, to, 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 to sort of go into it with, with fresh eyes. And I did thoroughly enjoy it, uh, I'm pleased to say, but I, I had to get that confession out of the way. And I've chosen my thing for episode one, but I, I, I'll be interested, and I've written it down so that I can't cheat. Um, but So what's your, what's your choice for episode one, Richard? Well, I mean, it sounds kind of obvious, but for me, it's the first meeting of Katie Manning's Joe Grant with the Doctor when she comes in and ruins his experiment by uh, using the fire extinguisher. There's, I mean, I think, you know, partly it's because of the charm of it, you know, that I think it's very tough for a young actor to join any series. And obviously Katie Manning was, I guess, in her early 20s. And, you know, to make such impact straight away, to be someone who... Um, has so much immediate uh, effect on the viewer. Uh, I think that's that's no mean feat. She doesn't always get the credit for it. And, um, you know, we, John Pertwee is clearly an established uh, scene stealer and very domineering leading man. So she needed to be able to quickly carve out her own 
niche and her own place in the proceedings, which she does with so much charm right from the off. And so that's why I thought for me, that was the moment. Uh, that's very, yeah, I think that's a good choice. And I think Katie, and I did mention it in my, my commentary, I think we sometimes forget as well that Katie is acting because Joe is such a great creation. And because Katie is, is bonkers in the best, sense, we sort of go, oh, well, they're sort of the same, but actually they're, they're not. And even their vocal um, register is, is totally different. It's a, it's, a, it's a proper acting performance. But I think I'm, I'm always in danger, I think, of when I'm doing this, of overlooking the regulars. So I thought you were going to also say perhaps uh, the arrival of the master, which is a, another great scene. But I've, gone, <laughs> uh, I've, I've ignored the regulars. Um, which I must make a mental note not to do, although it would be boring if every time I just went, Patrick Troughton, uh, whatever. But I chose the bowler-hatted Time Lords. Um, oh. I don't know if you see the mirror or uh, whether I'm the right way around. Um, uh, just yes, because... Right way just, around. just because... But I, uh, interesting, part of that choice, I, add, I added the caveat, and you will be able to give proper perspective on this, that if you've just been introduced to the Time Lords in the war games as the Doctor's people, and they're these austere, good, godlike figures, was there not a certain amount of uh, <laughs> um, uh, sort of disappointment that the next time you see them, that, that majesty has been completely sort of undercut and satirised by pesky Robert Holmes? Well, it's funny you should say that, Toby, because I always think that moment's a bit shonky. Um, uh. And... I don't know that I truly can say that I thought that at the age of five when I first saw it, because I think my five-year-old impression of Terror of the Autons is a, of lurid colour and visceral horror. So I think it was more a kind of gut reaction to the, the images. And actually, even now, for, for something that's nearly 50 years old, I think it moves along at quite a rattle if you compare it to other things at that time. It's very, very comic strip in a lot of ways, which if you're five actually works really well because you're not analyzing the plot you're not overthinking it you're just swept up in this kind of tidal wave of 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 one set piece after another and your safety valve other doctor and joe and the brigadier and they work really well so i think the shonky time lord cropping up on the dodgy cso probably went like that and when i watch it now i do think this is a little bit of an in-joke going on somewhere with Barry Letson and old, maybe an actor mate. I don't know if it was an actor mate of his, but that's how it feels now as an adult. Ah, so, so in fact, I've managed to choose the one thing you really don't like about it. That <laughs> this, is, this could be interesting. <laughs> so, <laughs> so okie dokie. I think you'll find. 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 Well, more of a clarification, really, because I got distracted and sidetracked when discussing the Doctor's insults to Joe after she has ruined his experiment. And yes, I know he wasn't calling her a bum-bender, although that's quite the playground insult. I do discuss this during the next episode where I pick up the thread, but I didn't want to leave it hanging lest I get a barrage of Twitter. I think you'll find I know the line is... You ham-fisted bun-vendor, which basically means you cack-handed seller of cakes, uh, which is, as insults go, I suspect verging into the realms of the unique. But uh, what a line to conjure. You ham-fisted bun-vendor. More on that next week, but just some clarification that I do know what the actual line is. Richard's good, isn't he? Um, there's more from him next time. 
Okay, so that was Richard Marson. As I record this, I've got no idea what we've just said to each other because that's happening tomorrow. But uh, I'm, so I'm going to wibbly wobbly off uh, into time and space. And uh, I hope that whatever Richard and I did was suitably climactic uh, and satisfying. I am going to soon watch episode two, which will be the next episode of this. But for this particular instalment, stop me. That's a bomb. That's a wrap. Thanks very much. Ta-ta. Thank you so much for listening to Happy Times and Places with me, Toby Haydoke, and my special guest, Richard Marson. And every episode, it's a great pleasure for me to give a shout out to some people who've kindly become patrons at patreon.com forward slash Toby This episode, I'm going to mention Quarridors, Thomas Paine, Ken Patterson, Russell Parker, Nick Mellish, Pip Maidley, Sean McAllister, Nate Lynch, Hendrik Korzeniowski, Andy Kitching, Jeff Kaplan, Judith Jackson, Christopher Joyce, Gregory Hudson, Darren Howard, and Matthew Houliston. And thanks, too, to those who've decided to donate at ko-fi.com forward slash Toby Haydock, who include Tony Cross, John Ball, Scott, and New To Who podcast. I'm very grateful. The music for this podcast is specially composed by Dave Gates, and the podcast artwork is by Dylan Patterson. If you can, I'd be very grateful if you could rate positively and review positively these podcasts at any outlet you possibly can. And you can also subscribe to my YouTube channel where there is a video version of each episode of this audio podcast available so you can, you know, see what I'm wearing or not. I'm 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 always wearing something. <laughs> Every Tuesday I have special guests at my comedy club, XS Malarkey, which has been running for 24 years and is currently being Zoomed on Twitch TV. So it's twitch.tv forward slash XS Malarkey every Tuesday at 8pm. 